Welcome to the People's Show. It's Dan Richo and Vic Nazar in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Big Friday to come. It's a uh, mailbag Friday. Get your questions in. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Also at Dan Richo underscore anything on your mind, sports, life, or otherwise. Let us know. We'll have a mailbag coming your way around 1.30 this afternoon. Also, uh, something that uh, I am not all that used to on the People Show. It is a confession Friday. Fired up. Is this like a... Summer brings back Confession Fridays type of thing. Oh yeah. Okay. So have you guys not been doing it since I was on holidays? I did not do a Confession Friday when I was doing solo two there's, weeks ago. There's your confession. Yep. Drop the ball. I was looking at the text inbox. People were like, "Are we going to do Confession Friday?" I was like, "I don't even. I don't even know what that is." Well, yeah. good on the people for getting after you. That's well, I, I know what it is because I've heard people make some pretty insane confessions. Oh, yeah. on this show. <laughs> People just want to atone, man. They just yeah. want to just like let it out. Sometimes, Dom and I were both away, so yeah. yeah. Sometimes you learn things about people that is uh, unexpected. Sure, like when you're scrolling through TikTok and you just see random comments from friends, and you're like, "Wow, did not expect that from you." On this account, <laughs> wasn't that bad of a comment? <laughs> Dom's already confessing. Dom, I was trying to. Uh... <laughs> Not call you out on it, but you've already uh, you've already yeah. added yourself. Uh, anyways, that could be your confession Friday later in the show. Sure. <laughs> um, clearly, something you're not willing to hide from. So that's 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 fine. You know, it's not that bad, really. I'm I'm making more out of it than I should. Uh, all right. So we'll get to confession Fridays coming up in the final hour of the program as well. Paul Tenorio will join us. Uh, his take on Lionel Messi playing in the League's Cup final this weekend, and. His impact on uh, Major League Soccer as MLS kicks back into gear this weekend as well after their brief hiatus for the League's Cup through the course of the last three weeks. So a couple of things I wanted to get into today, and we're going to do some NFL stuff as well as week two of the preseason kicked off last night. And plus the Friday mailbag. Plus the Friday mailbag coming up after one thirty. Um, we talked yesterday about our Team Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no current Vancouver Canuck that is anywhere near a Team Canada roster. Not currently. Could that change? Of course it could. Trades, free agents, otherwise, who knows? But A lot of people shouting, they should have tanked for Bedard. <laughs> if there was a 2024 World Cup coming, the Canucks would not have a player on the Canadian roster. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean they don't have any internationals. And sometimes, you know, a uh, well, it doesn't happen as much anymore. But when I was younger and you were growing up watching soccer, you'd kind of look through like how how many internationals on are, are on a certain squad and be like, certainly, yeah, great way to tell like that squad's going to be pretty good, <laughs> or like at least a, a an early guide, an early tell that that squad might be pretty good if they have a ton of internationals. And kind of using that as a way to evaluate the Canucks how many internationals would the Canucks have on their roster should a best on best tournament pop up and it's best on best you want as many players in that group yes it it sort of tells you hey you've got quite a few good players 
on your roster if you're sending a bunch of players over to the World Cup or an Olympics. So in that lens, how many Canucks would end up on international rosters in a hypothetical best-on-best tournament? There's some obvious ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, Elias Pettersson is the most obvious. Andre Kuzmenko, I think, would be on a Team Russia, which, of Mm -hmm. course, Team Russia is the reason, uh, one of the main reasons why there isn't going to be a 2024 World Cup. Mikheyev might be a sneaky one, but... Russia's team isn't as deep as you might think it is, so Mikheyev might end up being on that roster. He might be like the 13th guy. It's like, hey, we we need some speed and someone that can play on the PK, but that one to me was kind of a coin toss. Beyond that, uh, Team USA is probably where the Canucks would have their most uh, contingent. Mm-hmm. Thatcher Demko, who likely wouldn't be the starter on that team right now. Third goalie? Third goalie behind Connor Hellebuck and Jake Ottinger. Uh, Quinn Hughes is a lock for the team. And I think JT Miller is probably a lock for the team, most likely <sighs> playing as a wing, but... Man. The U.S. roster is absolutely loaded, so yeah. it's not a guarantee that J.T. Miller would be on the team. Like yesterday, we were doing the the Canada one, and I was like, "Hey, I I put a bunch of centers on wings. This one, I had a bunch of wingers. I was like, how do I get all these guys in? Yeah, like we're talking the Kachucks, mm-hmm. Goudreau, yeah, Kyle Connor. Haven't even mentioned Jason Robertson yet. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of guys, and not to mention, hey, Matthews Eichel. Matthews, Jack Eichel, Jack Hughes, pretty good down the middle. Um, it, you know, I don't know if that one's a lock. So Miller, I think, is obviously uh, well thought of in this market. I think he's really more well thought of around the league than most people in this market give him credit for. I'll say that. But it's it's a tough roster to crack. Right, you've got Matty Beneers on the come up to Tage. Uh, depending on Jake Ansel, like he's on yeah. that roster. Kyle Connor, Trevor Zegras is probably on the roster. You know, maybe Patrick Kane is somebody that drops off of it now, given where his career has headed. Chris Kider's probably there. Dylan Larkin's there. Like, I feel like we just named fifteen guys. There's a lot of good talent, mm-hmm. and this is sort of the exercise we were doing yesterday too, where. You know, you start building out the Canada roster, and I'm like, uh, they're not as big a clear-cut favorite as they used to be if Mm -hmm. there would be a big best-on-best tournament. So I don't know. We can't really say with certainty that JT Miller would be on a Team USA roster. Hughes for sure. Yeah. Um, Hughes and Demko right now, I'd say, are locks. Yeah. Beyond that, I can't say that about JT Miller. Certainly can't say that about Brock Besser. Oh, yeah. No, that one's a, a harder projection. Besser's couple, not even close. Yeah. A couple of years ago, Besser, though, was... Yeah, that one's... Definitely thought of to be on an Olympic roster. Where does Besser rank as opposed to, say, a Matthew Boldy in Minnesota? Oh, uh, yeah. No, he's that's... behind Matthew yeah. Boldy. Like, Besser has played his way off of a Team USA radar. Easily, yeah. So, it's not even all that close at this point. And then we throw in... Like, I imagine Philip Ronick's going. Yes. Pardon? For Czechia. Uh, yeah. Um, Philip Ronick for Czechia is another one I would say is Easy one. definitely going. Teddy Bluger's going? For Latvia. 
But now, like that one's a pretty. Uh, I would like you guys to refer to him as Theodore's Bluegers, please, when referring to his Latvian name. What is he, Rudolph's Balsers? No, he's Theodore's Bluegers. That's his real name. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Theodore's Bluegers, Teddy Bluger. All right, that one's gonna take some uh, getting used to. That one's gonna take some time. Yeah. Beyond that, um, I, I think that's the list. That's pretty much the list. Mm-hmm. You can, like, you're really projecting to say a Vasily Podkolzin. Silovs uh, is probably on Abbotsford Canucks. Yeah, does that count? Yeah. He's in the organization. Yeah. Sure. And he just rocked it at the World Championship. I, I, I mean, we're talking, like, who's going to contribute at the NHL level. Yes. And uh, how is that a reflection of, like, where your team is standing? Fair. Okay. Um. It would be too much to project a Pod Coles in there, just given yeah. how his season has gone or his last couple seasons have gone. Uh, Nils Hoaglander, definitely not. Um, way too early to say about even the top Canucks prospects like Aramaki or uh, Tom Willander, especially with the defense that Sweden can trot out there. Tom Willander, uh, <laughs> we're not projecting that much. Suter going for Switzerland? Down the road. Uh, Pew Suter? Probably. Yeah. So we're talking about like six. Yep. Not that big of a list. No. And even like the ones you're like, hey, JT Miller, Brock Besser, mm-hmm. you'd want to see those guys go. Those are your highest paid players, right? Like some of this is non-power, traditional power uh, hockey countries that are making the, the, the group. Yeah. But, you know, you, you want your Swedish players going. You want your American players going. You want your Canadian players going. That contingent is a bit less. It's... Sort of the thing that we've talked about quite a bit with the Canucks and how I appreciate where they've added to the roster and how they've managed a poor salary cap situation, few assets Mm -hmm. to sort of fill out their roster and make it a little bit more well-rounded than it had been when they first took it over, Patrick Alvin and, and Jim Rutherford. So I can applaud them for that, but it's also made it more glaring and going through this process made it more glaring of how they still need to add more top end pieces or one or two more top end pieces to this roster at a very high level in order to take it to this is a credible playoff and Stanley Cup contender in the National Hockey League. And that's what I feel I sort of learned by going through this process with the Vancouver Canucks and how many internationals they might have on their roster. I know people probably shout and be like, no more spending assets here to go acquire what you're you're, you're talking about here, right? Because people would say, hey, are, do you burn a 2024, 2025 first-round pick? And that's how you solve that problem. But, you know, just the way this is all getting structured and of, of how the team build is going, and I know they're up against the cap right now, um, this looming contract with Elias Pettersson happens, but that's the one. It's like once that domino falls, everything will start to materialize. Be like, okay, this is where the the money, how it can be spent. How much does Pettersson take away from the projected 30-plus million that they're going to have next season? And if there's you know, $20 million open in the next two years here, mm-hmm. Is it via free agency? Is it for an opportunity uh, to to buy low somewhere? Uh, contractual status for some guys open up. Is is that the thing that you got to shop through the free agency market? And I know, like, I'm just gonna throw a name out there, like William Nylander. 
Yeah. Like, is that the one that opens up? You're like, hey, there's one more high-end player that you can bring into this group um, that pushes that, hey, you get another international player, but just towards of another credible high-end threat. It's uh, Next year's free agency is going to be a wild ride. Mm-hmm. You know, with the increase, the expected increase, finally, in the salary cap, and just the class that is coming up next year in free agency makes it for what should be, what could be a very interesting group of players. You know, I expect some of them will come off the board An Austin Matthews is probably coming off the board. Um, William Nylander may even come off the board if he gets traded or Otherwise, although sure doesn't sound like it, doesn't sound like he would get yeah. traded. If I were Brad for living, I'd probably just play it out because how am I replacing William Nylander mm-hmm. on my roster as I try to win a Stanley Cup? But you know, there's some really high end players, Elias Lindholm, some of the guys that may end up getting traded through the course of the year that can be or would be considered internationals that can be difference makers that end up. On the free agent market, Devon Taves, you know, is probably playing for Canada and is definitely on Canada's radar. Someone and like two years from now, like Shea Theodore is a right. free agent two years from now, right? So it doesn't have to be through trade that you add these pieces mm-hmm. to your roster. Now, again, free agency fraught with peril at times, yep. but it's it's the group of players that we tend to say like, hey, the third liner, go pay a premium to make him a second liner. And I'm talking like proper premium, um, like Mikheyev to me doesn't fall in that yeah. mold just because that number's just shy of five. Um, that one to me doesn't strike me as you're breaking the bank for it, right? Yeah. We've seen some of those obviously here when when you fail a projection and it doesn't live up and now you're paying that excessive amount. Someone like Nylander, like, well, again, we're talking someone that's put up 80 points in this league. That's I'm okay spending for high-end talent. I, what I don't want to see is... Um, who else is a free agent next year? Someone like uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, who I think is a fantastic player. Yeah, but not somebody you want to give you know, seven, eight million dollars, thirty to. million dollars to yeah. over five years or like, something like that. That would be the one that I, I get a little concerned about. Even though I think he's a tremendous player, would fit really well. Um, that group of player is is the one that concerns me. Maybe even a bit lower, like a Kevin LeBanc. Yeah, uh, LeBanc. Um... <laughs> What an interesting career turn his uh, career has made. Uh, a couple of questions coming in at the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox and comments. Tyler, I think there's four at most. Elias Patterson, Kuzmenko, Hughes, Demko maybe. Doesn't think Miller is making it. Wasn't uh, projecting out some of the it's, other players uh, it, on fringe rosters. It's just interesting because, like, what's the skill set for, for JT Miller? If you, if you went, like, the primary, like, this is JT why he's JT could valued. play a fourth-line role, though, right? Be a bit of a physical presence. Play on the PK if needed. Right, there's some value there that maybe. But I, I feel like it's it's like other guys might not bring as a you know somebody who plays in every single situation. I just feel like it's similar to the conversation we had yesterday when it came to Bo. Yeah, it's like look, if you want someone to play a role, you would just go find a Philip Deneau. Yeah, when your four centers are, and you know Miller doesn't have to play center on a mm-hmm. uh, on a Team USA roster, but just to illustrate it again, Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, Jack Hughes. And Dylan Larkin. And Maddie Beneers, Trevor Zegris. Maddie Beneers. I like I don't know. I'm not sold on Zegris yet. Like he's an incredibly no, I, fun player, I, but I, I kinda did a makeshift version of a uh, Team USA. Yeah. And like he was like my thirteenth. Yeah. 
Like, I love watching Trevor Zegras. Yeah. But I'm not sure he's in that echelon of player just yet. He's like the party friend. It's yes. like, dude, I'm not relying on you for anything in my life. <laughs> but like once every six months, let's hang out. Let's hang out. Let's hang out. And I, I just want to have some fun. But if I need to ride to the airport, I'm not calling you because I don't know if you're going to be there to pick me up. Uh, this text, Brady Kachuk is not a better player than JT Miller. I mean, I, mean, I think the kids that's call that cap. That's a take. Kids nowadays are like, that's cap. Don would know in the comments of uh, TikTok and Instagram. Is that what they say? Yeah. So there's a that is cap. <laughs> a topic we were drawing up earlier in the in the prep lounge of breakout players, and we had a bit of a disagreement. Well, I wouldn't. I don't. We were sort of discussing if Brady Kachuk is underrated or not, and mm-hmm. I think that text maybe illustrates there is some who aren't appreciating the levels of Brady Kachuk's game just yet. Uh, living in the shadow of his brother, maybe could be something that uh, Brady Kachuk is dealing with right now incredible player plus no team success no team success definitely hurts he would be an absolute monster in the playoffs just like matthew kajak was well, like home he had 83 points last year yep pretty good for a power That's forward type. pretty good who has started to play a little bit of center when the the sens have asked him to so he's, he's taken over like uh a thousand draws the last couple yes. of years um is Pedersen the number one center for sweden a question coming in to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. So a projected Sweden roster would have, you know, my, my first thought when I think Sweden centers is probably Nicholas Backstrom. But it's like the age thing is now. The age thing, yeah. all of the injuries he's had to go through. It's probably between Pedersen and Mika. Zabanajad. Lindholm um, is in there. Lindholm is in there. I think it would be... It would probably be Pedersen. Mm-hmm. Although Zabinajad isn't a bad shout. <laughs> Incredible player. Speaking of the guys that like don't get enough recognition. All this talk about international best on best is like, why don't we have this tournament every couple of years? Like, who's decided that we don't get to to have this on our sport watching calendars? Terrible decisions. Sounds like terrible hockey if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like terrible hockey. Just have a bunch of all-star teams going up against each other for games they actually care about we rather get, than that f- whatever it is they have every January. We get the appetizer watching these kids as junior-age players at the World Juniors, and then we, when they become pros and reach their peak, yeah, no, we're good. Yeah, we don't need to see this. We Sorry. don't want to see Connor McDavid. Sorry, does Gary you- Bettman think is, thinks it diminishes the NHL product? Like Probably. <laughs> we don't want people watching this because this is like what hockey could be, and then we have to show them what we show One them One player on might Tuesday get nights. hurt, ruins it for everybody. Yeah. Then they have to watch Carolina Columbus on a Tuesday, and they're like, oof. What are you referencing in January? The All-Star game. Oh, okay. Which is just... Uh, Awful. It's terrible. Uh, those are the, the big centers on a potential Sweden team. Patterson is right there as the number one with Mika Zibanejad. 1A, 1B, I'd say. Um, and there could be a situation where maybe Patterson plays wing, and you load up. Make it a different look. You have Joel Erickson Eck playing some kind of mm-hmm. shutdown center role further down the lineup. Which boy, he can do. He's uh, perfectly suited to play yeah. something like that. Um, this one from C.D. Lamb in Richmond. Didn't know C.D. Lamb was in Richmond. It shocks me how little you guys know about hockey. Like, J.T. Miller and Tyler Bertuzzi bring jam and create culture. It's not three-on-three. It's the NHL. It's best on best. This is a pro JT Miller show. This is a pro Tyler Bertuzzi show. We're just talking about finances. 
Uh, I think Tyler Bertuzzi is incredible. The only comment I made was I wouldn't want to give Tyler Bertuzzi $30 million over five or six years. Yeah. That's it. Doesn't mean I don't like the player. Um, it shocks me how little people listen when they're listening. The greedy 32 keeps us from this. That's they're right. listening, but they're not hearing. The greedy Wait, thir- is it the other way around? I don't like, know. Like what's more important, to hear or to listen? <laughs> I think to hear. And to oh, listen. I think it's to listen. Yeah, I guess listen. Listen allows you to interpret what you're hearing. Open your heart. Yeah. Making a thought. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's definitely listen. Yeah. Okay. I get that. We're there. I'm not always listening, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. Fraser Crane, he's not going, I'm hearing. Wow. Back-to-back days with Fraser Crane references. Unbelievable. <laughs> Keep it going on. Uh, on uh, Monday. 650, 650, the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Keep your comments coming in. We've also got a mailbag coming up after 1.30. Your questions, much appreciated for the show. It's an Ask Us Anything sort of format, so let us know what's on your mind, and we'll deliver the answers as we go. Uh, for the person texting in, who's Sweden's goalie now that King Henrik's gone? It's like Linus Allmark. Linus Allmark. Markstrom. Uh, Markstrom coming off a pretty bad year, but... but Still, Linus Allmark just won the Vesna. So. It was fantastic this year. <laughs> now he played uh, behind an incredible defense, but guess what? Sweden may also have yes. uh, a pretty incredible defense. So maybe not too much of an issue there. Uh, Team Russia would be pretty good, too, with all they've got on the radar and coming. Finland is always going to be a Love pretty me some Finnish hockey. defensively stout team. You'd think Bik Nazar was the GM of that roster. Considering how they play. Throwing Barkov and away we go. <laughs> uh, coming up a little bit later on in the show, we'll go through some uh, breakout candidates for the upcoming season in the National Hockey League. And different ways to look at that. Um, could it be a star player ascending to superstar status or somebody who's a little bit under the radar becoming more somebody that you look to on a night-to-night basis when they're on the ice. Uh, so we'll get to some of those types of things coming up later on in the program. Up next, we'll dive into more of this conversation, more of your texts on Best on Best. Plus, Paul Tenorio is going to join us from The Athletic, talk a little bit about Lionel Messi and his continued impact as he tries to win the League's Cup, his first trophy as a player with Inter-Miami already. It's coming up next on The People Show. A goal we've all seen, a goal uh, we all commented on. Good, bad, or otherwise. The call of the goal is almost um, not as descriptive as the video. Because the call of that messy goal makes it sound like a brilliant one. Messi from distance! Although the MLS... uh tweeting it out too and they put from deep like it's like a three-point shot <laughs> yes i mean it was from like what 37 yards out or something like from that? fort lauderdale <laughs> messy from downtown from jacksonville i mean what did matt devlin have the call or what onions baby onions <laughs> that's chuck swirsky i know <laughs> bang Bulls legend um 
just Matt Devlin is always like, from Comox! Yeah. Like, well, it's just a three-pointer. It's not from deep. <laughs> when his son played in the BCHL, I actually did a Matt Devlin tribute a time to time when his son did score. Nice. Okay, very but he nice. scored in Langley, I'm like, from Aldergrove! <laughs> Slick. Eddie, it was a tap-in. <laughs> he was literally, like, in the blue paint. <laughs> he was a D-man, so he got his goals from the point. Yeah, but you you think of a, a a goal from distance, especially in in soccer. Like, uh, there's so many that come to mind. But I'm a soccer nerd, so you know Roberto Carlos, Clarence Seedorf. Mm-hmm. The Clarence Seedorf one from like 50 yards with Real Madrid is just feels like he shot it out of a cannon. Like, how can somebody hit the ball that hard? But uh, that was not this with Lionel Messi. It was well struck, but. Along the grass and into the corner. But like it bounced three, four times. It should have been saved. Especially Easily. by somebody who's called the best goalkeeper in MLS, Andre Blake. So, what has happened... I often say this about Major League Soccer. It is, at the same time... It's like face-offs in the NHL. They are the most overrated and underrated thing at the exact same time. And that's what Major League Soccer is. It is the most overrated league, especially by those who are diehards of it Mm -hmm. and are constantly trying to tell everybody, it's a much better league than you think it is. It's a top 10 league in the world. No, it's not. That's what they sound like? Yes. In my head, they do. But then it's underrated by... Many who are watching Lionel Messi right now and saying, well, of course Messi is going to destroy this terrible league and how look at how terrible these defenders are and how terrible everything around it. Of course, Lionel Messi, even at 36, is going to dominate in this realm, in this universe when we're really not that far removed from him scoring incredible goals in the World Cup. Uh, He scored at a better-than-goal-per-game pace in La Liga through his entire Barcelona career. So it's not too dissimilar from anything Lionel Messi did earlier in his career. He's just sort of always done this. So that's why I say MLS is equally the most overrated and underrated league at the same time. Progress has been made, obviously. Yeah, but you know the, the claim has always been well, like David Villa has been here, Wayne Rooney has been here, Thierry Henry. The thing is, like in hindsight, you can almost look at it and say like, well, how seriously were those guys taking it? And hey, this is a credit to Leo Messi because he's carried on his PSG form, he's carried on his Barcelona form, what we just saw at the World Cup, and he's playing to his standard. Yeah, and and that's a credit to him. So if you're if you're tuning in because you want to watch Leo Messi, you're getting what you paid for. Okay. But when we're talking about like the development of the league and its place in world soccer, you really need a lot more from those around him. Yeah. And you know, the point I made the other day is like it, it feels it's it feels like exhibition matches where we're tuning in just for one thing and we're getting that one thing, which is great, but it's not really a promotion of the league as a competitive environment for that one person. I'm curious to see how it looks when MLS games, matches, actually start up again mm-hmm. uh, over the next couple of weeks. He still hasn't played his first MLS match. He's played against MLS opponents, but not his first MLS match. I wonder if it changes because, like, the League's Cup, it's the first year of the League's Cup. Mm-hmm. 
I sort of wonder how seriously every team is taking it, uh, how seriously every player is taking it to a certain level. Things are going to get... Messi's not going to have this easy of a time scoring goals as time continues on, especially as the fixtures start to pile up, the travel and everything else. Those things are going to affect him like they have affected others. But one thing I know about MLS, if a player doesn't take it seriously, no matter how talented they are, they're not going to have immediate success. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that through the league, like Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard for a time, and then he started to... You know, th- there was a moment where Frank Lampard flipped a switch and he started to like care for New York City, and it almost worked for them. But the best players in MLS history are the ones that really committed to it, right? Uh, Robbie Keane, Thierry Henry, Sebastian Javinko, uh, those players, even David Beckham, when they committed to it, you know, they really started to show their class. I think what's most impressive is how much Lionel Messi has just raised the level of everybody around him. Mm-hmm. Like, guys you would never have thought of or even heard of before. Like, this is the last place team in MLS. But now, all of a sudden, they've got guys with two first names, Robert Taylor, like, just showing up out of nowhere and throwing dime balls all over the place and setting up goals for Messi and other players around the roster. It's just what's been the most fascinating thing to me is how much – Messi has raised the level of everybody around him at the same time. The mark of a true superstar in my eyes. Uh, 650, 650. All goals Messi scores are going to be overhyped. That goal is like celebrating a hockey goal from center ice. Like it was an absolute beauty. Messi makes a hard pass and scored. It was just ugly. And look, but the thing is, is like you're tuning in because of Leo Messi. Mm -hmm. And so when he scores the goal, yeah, it's going to get overhyped. And and he's doing his bit, but... I think you have to accept the fact that there's going to be a lot of hype for what Leo Messi does right now in the MLS. Who's the greatest player you've ever seen live? Oh. Like any sport. Steph Curry. Steph Curry. Yeah. Um, You you seen him live? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Steph Curry. Just dropping bombs from Comox? Yeah. (laughs) I saw Adrian Peterson. Oh, that was that's pretty cool. A lot of fun, yeah. And like first play rattles off this like sixty yard run. Mm-hmm. Geno Smith, <laughs> seen Geno Smith, seen Tim Tebow, uh, like I've Rooney, seen Trent Edwards. So it's uh, different. And Brady Quinn, yeah, like peak Rooney, <laughs> peak Wayne Rooney, peak like real in a Ferdinand. Premier League match. Yeah, mm. Drogba. The experience of a soccer match is wildly different in Europe than it is mm-hmm. here. 100%. <laughs> right? Like wildly, wildly different. It's laughable. Um, now, we, we get lucky enough in Vancouver that we get to watch the greatest hockey players roll through here. Like yeah. we've seen, especially because of our jobs, we've gotten to see Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid through the years. And every viewing of McDavid is fascinating. But there's also some players that will surprise you. Like Dylan Larkin last year in Vancouver was like okay. <laughs> Scary. Yeah, I didn't yeah. I didn't I didn't see this coming from you, Dylan. But just a different appreciation seeing it live versus the Shaq meme. It's like I wasn't familiar with your game. I owe you an apology. Just I, a different experience seeing it live. I saw Mario Lebu in this final year before his first retirement, and he just 
had an off night and an off year. I was a little disappointed about that. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen Lemieux from the previous year when he mm-hmm. dominated. Um, but I can at least say I've seen Lemieux live. Yeah, just 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 make up. You'd be like, oh, I went to this game. <laughs> I went to the game where he scored a goal at every strength. <laughs> I went to the game where he scored between his legs in Vancouver, yeah. not the 2-1 win by Vancouver a year later. I I just so happened to be at the game where he split the D and scored on uh, Jim Casey. It was great. <laughs> I was four years old, but man, what a, what an experience! Or John Casey, John Casey, sorry. Um, that's his brother. Yeah, like <laughs> I've made it a, a point to like mess up names all week here on the People's Show. That's fine. Those Seahawk teams, like those Legion of Boom teams, like again, yeah, grateful to be so close to it and be, be able to go. Um, uh, but by proxy, you get to see a lot of the like, the uh away team players. I saw Randy Moss with the Raiders, but mm-hmm. like saw Randy Moss. Yep. Michael Ballack with Chelsea. Nice. Uh, Benny from the Mocks. Uh, Stevie, Stevie G. G. Live back in 08. So, like, peak Liverpool days. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, uh, like, I um, I went down to T-Mobile Field and got to see Shohei Otani his first year in, in Major League oh, Baseball. So nice. special. Uh, and he was pitching incredible the snap on the breaking stuff was just i was lucky enough to sit not too far behind home plate as well just some at the time the the company seats that we well were able to get through a connection with james paxton and (laughs) it was incredible but also like mike trout at the time anytime he played at t-mobile park was just like (laughs) he'd be like four for five with a couple of doubles and a home run it was just like automatic Half war With game today from Mike Trout. You, what what you, about a guy like Ichiro? How many times have we gone down to Seattle to watch a Mariners game and maybe not take for granted watching him? Uh, yeah, I never actually got to see Ichiro. I was there yeah. when he got his record-breaking hit that year. He set the league record for hits at 250-whatever. 256? Last, something like that. Last game of the year. But I was there for it. It's, um, it's always incredible when you get to see the superstars live. Um Especially, like, at their peak. Yep. Right? Like, that's the thing. We don't appreciate it in the moment enough, I think. No, we don't. Definitely not. Like, watching the 80s Oilers. <laughs> sure wasn't fun as a Canucks fan, I guess. But, like, maybe you look back at it in hindsight, and it's like, wow, okay, Gretzky was pretty good. History was happening basically every yeah. night. <laughs> wow. Ooh. Paul Coffey and Wayne Gretzky, Yari Curry. Like, wow. This texter, Michael Jordan and Ken Griffey Jr., one and two. That's awesome. I'm jealous. <laughs> Der- Derek Martin just stoking the flames there in Vancouver. Yeah, hell yeah. That's a huge one. MJ oh, I've seen Kobe, but it was like young Kobe. Young Kobe? That still yeah. counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At a Grizzlies game? Yeah. Mm. Eight Kobe. That's good. Vince, obviously. If you only saw Michael Jordan, would you not say, if you saw him as a wizard, would you just say, I just saw Michael Jordan play live and not clarify mm-hmm. the team? <laughs> if you watched him play baseball? Yeah. That's basically the <laughs> Saudi league. Is it really? Yeah, I guess so. Um, all right. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk to uh, Paul Tenorio. One of the things about Lionel Messi in MLS, and yesterday we found out he's at least right now saying he's going to play on artificial turf. So chances are if Miami makes their first ever trip to Vancouver next summer, chances are you will get a chance to see Lionel Messi play in our own backyard. But... This can't 
What I don't want this to feel like is some sort of retirement tour for Lionel Messi. No, and and that's why like I think it's phenomenal what he's doing. Yes. Um, because if he was just lazing about and dinking yeah. a couple of passes here and there, running between the half line and the D, and 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 that's all he was doing, it, it would take away some of the allure. Again, he's potting the goals. He's being active. So if you if you're watching just for Leo Messi, you have no complaints. Yeah, but if you know, I I, I want to see him. I do want to see him pushed, but it just feels like he's he's understood the assignment that he's got to work hard and put on a bit of a show. He's doing it, but I don't know if he's getting pushed. It feels like he's individually doing it. He's not getting um, challenged enough. Yeah. So far in this league. It, 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 it does look like there's 11 guys that are just awestruck <laughs> to be on the field of them. Just starstruck? You yeah. Know? Like, and look, I, I get it. it it's man, part of, it's it, little messy. I, I think we, we overrate like, the mental component of the game at times. Wasn't that Messi's like, greatest attribute, though, just to like disappear on the field? Sure. Like It's one of the things he did so incredibly well for mm-hmm. his entire career. It was just... Somehow, yeah, here's the greatest player in the world, and he always gets lost mm-hmm. on the field. And, you know, people... But if, it's one if, thing... If you followed Messi enough, like, he just kind of, like, walks around. Yeah, okay, but it's and one he... thing when it's, like, Neymar's over there, Danny Elvis is running down the ring, yeah. the wing, Xavi's pulling the strings, Iniesta's prying through a midfield run. Right. And you have all these other distractions. Now you don't necessarily. Now it's have like that. you know where it's going. Yep. You you better be like some semblance of awareness. Just do a shoulder check every once in a while. Be like, oh, ten's over there, <laughs> right? Like they're they're gonna try to work the ball over to Leo Messi, and there's sometimes there's like, I, I don't know if you've posted pictures of yeah. it. Like seven heads are turned the wrong direction. Yes, which shouldn't happen when Leo Messi's on the field, but. Uh... Part of that is Messi's brilliance and his ability. Let's get some man marking going on here. <laughs> to get lost on the field. Let's bring in our next guest, Paul Tenorio from The Athletic. Uh, thanks for this, Paul. We're just, you know, I guess there's there's two sides of the argument of, of how you assess uh, Lionel Messi's play with Inter-Miami so far. It's just, you know, it's, it's sort of what we come to expect with this player. I mean, he's always scored goals at an incredible rate, but... You know, his his ability to just get lost on the field and, and somehow have defenders not thinking about him as much as they should, it's uh, it's shown up quite a bit already with Inter-Miami. For sure. I mean, this is what Messi's done the entirety of his career. And I, I really enjoyed the piece that Pablo Maurer just did for us on, on um, shooting photos of Messi in the last game and, and the way it felt similar to how it must feel to defend him because you'd have him in frame and he'd kind of just be walking around and, You'd lose focus for a second, and all of a sudden he was gone because his first steps are still so quick, mm-hmm. and and you'd have to scramble to try to get him back in frame again. And I think, you know, that's what's made Messi special. That's what's allowed him to score so many of those goals where he's trailing uh, the runs into the box, and he he finds that little top corner uh, of the box to to put a finish away. We saw it in that second game against Atlanta um, when he did that a couple times. Is what's made the connection with Jordi Alba so special. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean, he's the—he's, in my opinion, the the best player of all time, and and so I'm not—I've not been surprised at all how effective he's been, and I, I think you know we we've seen so many different teams across, you know, every phase of his career try to defend him in different ways um, to limited uh, effectiveness. I think it's fair to say, and and uh, you know, 
MLS is not exactly a league known for its defending. So uh, no, no surprise at what he's done so far. Look, this might be a bit heavy handed, but like he's doing his job and, and he's, he's providing the goals and he's providing the highlights that people are paying to see. But is this a bit of indictment of, of the rest of the league that it's, it's been this easy for him? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I thought, I mean, yes and no. Look, first of all, I thought, you know, it was telling. They, they put up a graphic in the last game that this is this, you know, it's, it's like one of those Tiger Woods graphics where <laughs> everyone else is like, how many times have they accomplished this? And it's like one, two, and Tiger Woods is like 14. Right, yeah. It's like they did this with Messi. It's like how many times has he scored in seven consecutive games across club and country? It was the seventh time in his career that he's done that. Um, he scored seven goals at the World Cup. I mean, this is very normal production for Messi to have a, a stretch of games where he's, where he's scoring this many goals. And I think part of it also is that I do think that there's a part of it you can attribute to them being knockout games, that it changes right. the urgency in certain moments in these games. That being said, I, I have long been an advocate for and will continue to, to bang on the drum that MLS needs to, needs to change. It needs to change how it allows teams to build rosters if they want to build the best possible teams for the money they spend. And it doesn't even need to be that you're spending more money, just that you're eliminating some of these buckets so that you can spread that spend out across the whole roster. And because they don't do that, because they have the DPs and the U22s and the TAM, we see a vast majority of the money spent on the top three players on the team and more, even more than that on the attacking players. And so you are going to have inferior defenders and realistically for a team like Philadelphia that's, yeah, it's been one of the better teams in the league, but I don't think you'd argue that it's one of the more talented teams in the league. And so when you put a player like Leo Messi or a player like Busquets up against that midfield, yeah, it's a little bit easier for those types of players to play out of a high press, to, to navigate around um, players who are, who are there to kick you and, and turn the ball over and, and do things like that. So I don't think it's an indictment of MLS, but I think it shines a light on the limitations of the league as it exists today. And I think it certainly is an argument for if you want to maximize the product around Messi, you're going to have to change the way um, that this product is set up or else I, I do think you'll see Messi continue to, to score at the rate he has. And again, he's averaged like 38 goals per season over the last 17 seasons. Uh, pretty spectacular numbers. He'll probably eclipse that in major league soccer because it's a lower level league than he's played in four. But I, I think, um, I don't think it's abnormal for him, but I do think it, it will put a spotlight on, on some of the deficiencies of major league soccer for sure. And, and that to me has to be sort of the, the big picture view that, that the league needs to take is, you know, more than just being able to, to sell a few more Apple TV subscriptions and give every owner across the league a guaranteed sellout one night a year when Lionel Messi is coming to town. Like there has to be a tangible evolution um, that comes with bringing Lionel Messi to the league, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know I, I, I chuckled because, you know, people now are hard to say, oh, like, Tenorio, all he writes about is, like, MLS needs to change the salary gap. And yesterday, <laughs> Leo Messi did his first media availability since coming to Inter-Miami, and he did a press conference, and then he did a few one-on-ones. And, and speaking in one of those one-on-ones with ESPN, one of his answers was, was spot on, and it shows that Leo Messi knows enough about the league that he joined. And that is to say – this league is capable of being as, as big as they want to be. They have one of the richest ownership groups of any soccer league in the world. I, I think if you put it owner for owner up against the Premier League and you took out 
the influence of the of the Saudi money at Newcastle, and you kind of called a truce over City Football Group. Um, it may be more a more wealthy league than even the Premier League, just based on the pure value of of those owners uh, in Major League Soccer. Some of the richest people in the world, they can spend the money. They just don't. They don't want to because they don't they don't think that the revenue is there to justify it. Um, but as Messi said, this is a, this is an important moment in time. Big tournaments are coming to the United States and Canada and, and Mexico to North America. It, eyeballs are on this league, and if they want to grow, then this is the time to do it. And I think that's exactly right. You know, Major League Soccer has uh, purposely been slow in how they've grown, and, and part of the reason is they needed to create permanence. Right, the the, the landscape for soccer in North America has been a shaky one historically. That permanence is there. Look around the, the continent. You have uh, stadiums that have been built. You have training facilities that have been built. Major League Soccer isn't going anywhere. They've taken that, that investment, and they, they've made it worthwhile. You look at all these soccer-specific stadiums all over the place. It's, it's incredible. It's wonderful. Uh, billions of dollars spent on that infrastructure. Uh, you, you have now teams that are averaging very good crowds in their local markets that are attracting people to come to the stadiums. And yet the, the television broadcasts just haven't quite hit that bigger audience. They haven't been able to attract uh, kind of the wider sporting, sporting audience to their league. That's not to say soccer isn't, isn't popular. We see the popularity of, of, of foreign leagues here in the United States. The League of is, is incredibly popular. Uh, the Premier League, I think, is probably the most popular of the European leagues. People want to watch the very best. Uh, and, and at some point, you have to start to approach that. And I think even Messi has demonstrated that. You put the best player of all time in your league, people are going to tune in. They're going to buy more subscriptions to Apple TV. So it, it has to be about maximizing that impact, and I think there has to be change that comes in order to do so. That doesn't mean MLS will do it, but if they want to maximize the impact of Leo Messi on the sport in this country or in these countries, uh, this is the way to do it. And, and there's really no alternative method. Uh, and if they wait too long, they'll miss the moment. If they wait until 2026, it'll be too late. You mentioned like the the MLS pass impact of this, and and there's short term benefits obviously to having Leo Messi, and 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 the league will find financial success in the short term. But what is the long term success like after Messi leaves? Like, what constitutes success ten years from now of what the impact of that this will have on the league? Well, I think I, I think it goes back to what I just talked about. I think if the league rules change and they start to see the momentum and, and bring bigger players and more top players to the league you're going to see the, the audience grow. And, and that, to me, is where success is going to be found. If, if you can start to have more relevance in the sporting landscape in North America, if you can really start to compete with the NBA and NHL at, at a higher clip than you do now. And that, that's not to say just in, in crowd size. Like We've seen the competition there, but in television numbers, mm-hmm. in actual general sports interest, I think that's what would constitute a success. And, and I think there's you know, the challenge that MLS faces here is that there's a perception gap that exists. It's what the casual fan thinks Major League Soccer is versus w- what it is right now. And the, the reality is, like, people are looking at what Messi's doing and, and they're saying, oh, this, this is uh, confirmation of what I believed about MLS the whole time, that the league is terrible and Messi's running through it because it's, it's way worse than every league he's ever been in. There's no acknowledgement of the fact that Messi did the same thing to La Liga for basically the entirety of his career. And, and, and that's true because the perception around MLS is, is, is not a great one. So for me, success is about changing that perception, becoming more relevant in the global 
soccer landscape and becoming more relevant in the domestic audience, uh, the general sports audience. And, and um, you know, that would be Messi's legacy. If he's able to change where MLS fits in the global soccer landscape and, and if he's able to change the way the audience in the United States and Canada perceives the league, that would be a success. And I, I think he's capable of doing that, not solely through his own performances, though we see through the numbers reflected that people will tune in to watch him. But now the onus shifts to the league. What are you going to do with those eyeballs? What are you going to do to keep those eyeballs? He can't control that. Messi can't control that. But his message the other day in the interview was correct. If MLS wants to take advantage of it, it's up to them. It's up to them to take that bigger jump in growth instead of these kind of very small incremental steps that, that don't do much to convince people that MLS is worth watching. Paul, we uh, really appreciate your time and your insights. Thanks for this today. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, there is uh, Paul Tenorio from The Athletic with a clear plan on what uh, MLS can do to maximize the value that Lionel Messi is bringing to the league right now with the eyeballs, ticket sales, and everything else that he is bringing to the league. We'll keep this conversation going. Have some more questions coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox and some comments on Lionel Messi. 650-650. If you have a mailbag question, we'll get to those after 1.30 as well. You're listening to The People's Show on Sportsnet 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hour number two of the People's Show. It's a mailbag Friday, 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Get your questions in on this uh, BEA beautiful Friday. Underrated movie, Bruce Almighty. It was fun. Have I seen that? I, I, I don't know that I have. How have you not seen Bruce Almighty? Really? Yeah, I don't think I have. That's how the cookie crumbles? Um, nope. No, just going over my head. Uh, uh, there was a Steve Carell version, right? There was a Steve Carell version. I saw that one. The sequel? Right? I guess it's a sequel. Yeah. Anyways. Evan Almighty. Evan Almighty. Yeah, I saw that one. It was not good. <laughs> yeah, it was very not good. Much like the Meg 2, I imagine. Uh, which we talked about yesterday. Um... So, yes, if you have a mailbag question, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We'll take your mailbag questions in in the next uh, half hour or so. But uh, NFL preseason week two kicked off last night with a big 18-18 draw between the Browns and Eagles. Yes, a tie. A draw, as I like to call it. Yeah. And uh, it was I see you working. definitely not all that impressive to watch uh, Tanner McKee and Marcus Mariota. Who? Kellen Mond. Who? Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson. Hold on. Hype for him. Are you? Yeah. DTR. He's the next one? No, but okay. he's just a fun. Just a fun quarterback? College player, yeah. 
it uh, reiterated how much we need to have week one of the NFL show up and how much we can still look ahead to that. I told you. I'm trying to check out of uh, preseason football. You're checking out? Yeah. Highlights. Um, I'll check it out, but I'm not living down to down. Okay. You shouldn't in the preseason as well. It's rough. <laughs> I don't think we need to and do like, this. The takes that are coming out of preseason like practice football. Practice roster, guys. Unbelievable. It's, it's too much. Trey Sermon should be on your fantasy like, radar seriously. after a touchdown last night. Seriously. I don't think he should. No, I, I really don't. CJ Stroud's not going to be it. Oh. <laughs> really? After one preseason game? We need this? talking points, guys. Come on. It's only not. The, the talking point is like, let's all just chill out. Yeah. Trust the tape from what we've seen. Trust the talent. Give some guys some time. We're too urgent in, in today's world. You think so? Actually, not even That's too cap. urgent. We're, we're um, too demanding. Okay. I might be showing my age here. What's cap? It's a lie. It's a lie. Oh. And no cap is the truth. I'm older than you. Come on. Cap and no cap? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. You and I both don't understand. Uh, I just. Learned, I don't want to know. I just learned mid. So now i got to learn cap and, and no if, cap. Uh, you agree with someone, you say, on God. I'm sorry, what? On, on God. God. Mm. Uh, by the way, a touch of breaking news. Uh, John Morosi is uh, reporting that Bo Bichette has rejoined the chase today. Huge. Uh, yeah. He... Uh, He's gonna. He, they didn't even uh, recall him though. I think he's gonna play tomorrow. So apparently, yes. And uh, Kiermaier was activated. Kiermaier was activated. Richards as well. Uh, Trevor Richards and his great changeup back mm-hmm. into the uh, Blue Jays bullpen needed. Uh, they've got a big uh, series against the Cincinnati Reds coming up this weekend. You'll hear it uh, starting today, uh, coming up after four o'clock here on the Sportsnet 650 Jays and Cincinnati Reds. Haven't played each other since 2014. I saw a graphic of the two rosters back then. Oh, boy. It was pretty wild. Joey Votto is like the one standing citizen from those two rosters. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, was way back, back in the Josh Tolley days of the Blue Jays. Um, (laughs) NFL division winners. You can add that to the uh, list of random player I thought about today. Josh Tolley. Yeah. NFL division winners. Cash is at plus uh, 6,000. <laughs> what division winners are we looking at in the National Football League? So, okay. The league is in an interesting spot this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's always – you always feel like there can be some upsets, and this year is no different. But it feels less so in the American Football Conference, the AFC, than the NFC. So we got the AFC East, where the Buffalo Bills are the heavy favorite. Mm -hmm. Behind them, the New York Jets, New England Patriots, and Miami Dolphins all have, especially the Jets and Dolphins, have decent rosters. But still a, like, I'd still consider them a tier below the Buffalo Bills. Like, something something strange would have to happen in order for the, the Bills to lose this division. I mean, we're talking about four wins that separated the Bills from everyone else. Yeah. Dolphins got nine last year, minus point, negative point differential. Uh, Patriots, eight wins, mm-hmm. positive point differential. The Jets were seven and ten last year. But, like, the Jets is the one everyone's looking at. Yeah. Although, offensive line, man. Like, it's already getting called out. Aaron Rodgers is not worried about it. 
He almost went as far as the R E L A X. But he kind of even so did the thing of ago. like, hey, it's like it's not my place to say it, but at some point I'm going to have some influence on it. And this was the <laughs> thing. It's like that's the Aaron Rodgers conundrum. Yeah, it's his offense. It's his offense. Hackett's calling plays, but it's Aaron Rodgers is the OC. He's going to be making decisions on top of doing everything else. So you think the Jets' offense is still going to run like molasses? No, it'll be better than it was last year, obviously. Okay. There's no way it can be worse than it was last year. With Stop dragging Zach the Jets, Rich. Um, How did I drag the Jets? Oh, you think their running game will be like molasses? I mean, if Dalvin Cook's back there. Like, uh, Brees Hall, there was all this hype, and now it's like, yeah, I'm not ready. Yeah, Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook, Michael Carter. Patriots are kind of the sneaky team here, more so to upset one of the Jets or the Dolphins because they're the Patriots and somehow Bill Belichick, you always kind of wonder what's going to happen, especially, I don't know what he was thinking last year, but he actually installed a proper offensive coordinator this year. So the Patriots are a bit of a wild card, even though I think they have the uh, worst strength of schedule in the entire league. And like some of their offensive skill position. I mean, that's been the conversation for 12 years. So they've never really been able to draft guys like the, the ones that have had success. It's like, they trade for Randy Moss. They find Wes Welker. You know, Julian Edelman's really the only like yeah. homegrown one that you look at and like this is a, a a real wide receiver for them. Tyquan Thornton, nice player, but we're still like kind of waiting for it. But Juju comes in. It just I, I in in an era where we're trying to find explosive plays in the NFL, this wide receiver core does not strike me as a group that's like, oh yeah, we're we're, we're gonna blow it up. Um. Going to be a tough one for the Patriots this year. But Bill's still probably the, Here's the thing. AFC East winner. Here's the thing that I like with the Patriots, though. Like, I, I don't see them winning the division. No. I could see them winning 10 games. I could see them winning nine games. Yep. That defense is going to be fun. I feel like their goal this year is to ruin the Dolphins in the Jets season. Yes. Which, that is so petty. I love it. <laughs> we're like, we're not going to rebuild, but we're going to ruin some of our competitors' seasons. And I love that. That's how you should embrace it. Uh, who's more susceptible to getting upset, the Jets or the Dolphins? Dolphins. Shocking, coming from a Jets fan. Well, which quarterback is more injury prone? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The guy who played with a broken thumb all last year and kind of sucked because of it. Really? We're, Aaron Rodgers? We're, do- we're doing this? We're doing this? Uh, all right. I- I'm curious, too. And I'll-, I'll save it for another day. But, like, is Aaron Rodgers used to playing behind a bad offensive line? <laughs> Probably. But he's, those Packers lines have always been fantastic. Uh, AFC North. This one is probably the most interesting division in the entire AFC. You've got four really good teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ravens just signed Jadavian Clowney today. Steelers, I mean, Mike Tomlin always finds a way to get them to a respectable rec- record. And like, did it with a rookie QB last year. And their roster is much stronger this year than it was last year. Cleveland Browns, uh, some would say – especially sat uh, that it's the best <laughs> roster in all of football. And then there's uh, the Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow. You know, I'm not down on the Bengals, but I'm like kind of got a bit of a caution flag ever since Joe Burrow went down with the calf strain. That's the thing. In I just, a, I don't think they can afford to start slow again this year in a division that has John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin, like Zach Taylor has done some incredible stuff these last two years. Yeah. And deserves some hype. But you got to remember, like, they started 0-2 last year, too. Yeah. So even if Burroughs hobbled um, to start the year, they've shown that they can come back. Now, they start with divisional games this year, Cleveland and Baltimore. 
but then they get the Rams right after Arizona shortly thereafter as well. So I feel like they can stomach it. The slow start? Yeah. If it, it happens again. If they lose two divisional games early. You know, they were what, uh four and four through week eight last year and then mm-hmm. you know, finished thirteen and four. So we know they can get hot, but there's no slam dunk in this division for the Bengals. Yeah, the thing is though is Baltimore like they're making offensive changes, how will those go? If it goes smoothly, then they can be really good. Pittsburgh they kind of just remind me of New England. Yeah. Uh, I'm really hyped for Pittsburgh. That defense can be fantastic. TJ Watt, a healthy season would be big for them, but it's like it's Kenny Pickett. The biggest question mark in this division is what is the Sean Watson? Yeah. And it could push them to first, it could push them to five wins. <laughs> it really could. Like Seriously, it, could, yeah. it could have that wide range yeah. of variance for the Cleveland Browns. Um all right. Still the Bengals as the favorite in that division. AFC South. Jacksonville Jaguars probably the favorite here. Yes. But nobody ever would feel great about laying their money at the at the window with the Jacksonville Jaguars. By the way, Nathan Rourke all but cementing his uh, spot on the roster. Jackson. Has is, is that been confirmed? No, not confirmed. Oh. This is the hype in Jacksonville. He's making it. Oh, yeah. Um, the Titans, just Titans are kind of like notoriously disrespected. Yeah, I've done it, but they had so many injuries defensively last year. Mm-hmm. Well, Vrabel has started to get yeah. one of those sort of reputations of being a coach that just finds a way to get it done. Mm-hmm. And as we go through this, it's like, hey, we've taken the three incumbent teams here. Yeah, Bills, Bengals, Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Some of these are going to flip. I just wonder if the Titans are like so much went wrong for them last year, so much went right for the Jaguars last year, and we're talking about two wins here. Mm-hmm. It's uh, that's a good way to put it with the Tennessee Titans. I don't see the Colts or the Texans making any kind of a run, not yet at least. But Jacksonville, Tennessee, I'm still going Jacksonville because I have a belief in uh, Trevor Lawrence, and mm-hmm. I'm going to pick the quarterback when it's available to me. But And he's ready to take that next step, too. Yeah. I don't feel incredibly comfortable about it, but Jacksonville, for me, is still the choice here in the AFC South. AFC West, don't know if we have to go too deep into it. It's the Kansas City Chiefs and everybody else. No, don't don't give me that no, look. I was laughing. I was laughing don't. at because what are you going to tell I, I me the Chargers? Earlier, we doing this again with the Chargers? I'm so done with the Chargers. I was saying earlier, there's a four win gap between the Bills and the Dolphins, thirteen and nine. Chargers got ten wins, and there's still a four win gap. Yes, it's 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 astronomical. Chargers can be better this year and still not be as good as the Chiefs. Exactly. So. Uh, it's the Chiefs and everybody else in the AFC West. Uh, to the National Football Conference, the NFC East, which was uh, talked as the NFC Beast last year. I was more used to calling it the NFC Least for a little while there, <laughs> but now... Finally, everyone started to show up. Teams started to do some good things. Sam Howell uh, named the Washington Commanders starting quarterback today, so we'll see how that goes for him. The Giants looking to build on some promising or to a promising finish to last year. Mm-hmm. Daniel Jones starting to figure it out a little bit. 
But this is going to be a heavyweight battle between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys in this division. I'll flip this one. I'll go Cowboys. You like the Cowboys. If they stay healthy. I don't like Mike McCarthy. Yeah. But this defense can be really, really special. A little bit of the brain drain in Philadelphia. Yeah. Shane Sykin goes out. Does that have some issues for Philly? Um, I, like... Things just aren't going to go as easily for the Eagles this year. That's the They're thing. just not. That's okay, the there's thing. no way it can go as easily as it did last year. Again, the sad I continue to recite all summer long. Jalen Hurts threw 60 passes in the fourth quarter last year. 6-0 in the entire season. It's insane how much the Eagles were blowing teams out last year. Secondary is a year older now, too. Like, really strong players. Don't get me wrong. Like... It- Love to have Darius Slay in your secondary as well. Um, Dak Prescott comes, you know, but doesn't have to bounce back to being like an MVP candidate, but like it's a guy who's thrown 37 touchdowns in this league. Yeah. Be more the guy that we expect him to be, and you'll be fine. Uh, I, I kind of want to like the Cowboys too, but I'm still giving it to the Eagles because I don't like Mike McCarthy, and the NFL is the hardest league to overcome bad coaching. Yeah. Um, NFC North. This one is a complete toss-up, much like the AFC South. The Lions are the favorite. The betting favorite? <laughs> the betting favorite? Really? Aren't they? I think they are. Yeah, you're right. But it just seems weird to say. It's tight with the Vikings, too. And then there's the Bears, who have everybody's favorite offseason pick to be the long-shot MVP, Justin Fields. And that they- just feels like... It just feels like you wanting your fantasy team to be great behind Justin Fields. Historically, Bears fans are notorious at like upping the ticket count on on MVP bets. That one just feels like a public bet because Bears fans are after it. And I know the Bears gave Justin Fields some more targets to throw to. You know, having DJ Moore there is going to help. So the offense should be a little bit improved. But you're looking like if you're thinking about him being an MVP, like that's a step that's. He's taken three steps in one year, and I don't know if you, you're, you're going to do that as, a, as an NFL quarterback. I don't like the Lions in this division. I want to like the Lions. I feel like they are the heartfelt story, mm-hmm. but believe it or not, I trust Kirk Cousins more than I trust anybody else in this division, so I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings. Our friends at play now have the Lions as the favorites, yeah. Vikings, Packers, then the Bears. I'm going to Lambeau. You have a weird confidence in Jordan Love right now. I have He's a, buying the hype, Some might man. say you love Jordan Love. Oh, I see you working. Um, that was about as I'm, easy I'm, a layup as I'm I could ever have. I'm just curious if the way Rodgers was playing last year, how many plays he kind of gave up on that Matt LaFleur was like, dude, we're not trying to do that. Like you're still going to get your stats, and there's certain things Aaron Rodgers does. But is there a smoothness to how Jordan Love will run the offense versus what Aaron Rodgers ran it last year? Right. And look, they went eight nine. Mm-hmm. It's not as if like it's it's a down. It's a bad year for the Packers. But there's a lot of teams that would be like love an eight nine season. If the Vikings are going to regress, and every indicator says one score games, all that sort of stuff, they're going to regress. Can the Green Bay Packers get to ten wins? Yeah. I think they can. And sneakily, it's not that I think their defense is good, but I think they have the type of defense that can win a game. Right. 
where like turnovers, all that sort of stuff. I don't think the Vikings defense is very good. I don't think the Lions defense is very good. I think the Packers, while they're going to be volatile, can you be the type of defense that creates turnovers and wins games and take some pressure off of Jordan Love? Of the 10 wins that they might get, do the Packers defense win two just because of splash plays? I'm still going with the Vikings, but we differ a little bit on that one. NFC North, Bix taking the Packers. Neither of us take the Lions. It's just like, I don't know. I need to see it from the Lions. When you mm-hmm. when you become a favorite, I don't know. The it's ball different. game changes, it's man. Different. The ball game changes once you're a favorite. And I just, I don't have, I can't trust the Lions as a favorite yet. Uh, NFC South, this one uh, is very much up for anybody. The New Orleans Saints and the Carolina, or the New Orleans Saints are listed as the team to have the best strength of schedule by Warren Sharp. Mm-hmm. They have Big agree. a very soft schedule. They've got a credible quarterback. You may not like him a ton, but he's a credible quarterback in Derek Carr. They've got some weapons. They'll get Alvin Kamara back after week three. They're a team that, you know, again, do you believe in programs? And there's a long enough time here that the Saints have built a program that you can – somewhat believe in and you give them a soft schedule and to me i feel like the new orleans saints are the team i could trust most to win this division here on august the 18th you could ask me again on monday and i'll I'll say oh it's gonna be the falcons you ask me on tuesday i'll say the panthers you ask me on wednesday i'll say the saints it's just this one is it's the worst division in football yes and when it's that bad like weird things happen in the nfl man people miss field goals Ball bounces the wrong way. If you're just trying to get to eight, nine wins, you might be able to get there just on randomness. Right now, I'll take the Saints. Just because what unit, uh, relative to strength of schedule, is going to be the best. That defense with Dennis Allen uh, as the the mastermind behind it. uh, And their schedule, I think they might get to ten wins. I know there's uh, some interest around the Panthers and Mm -hmm. maybe a, a, a sort of quick turnaround uh, with you know Bryce Young in a quarterback, they've got an interesting offense around him, but uh, I'm a guy that needs to see it first. Same thing goes for for Desmond Ritter with the Atlanta Falcons. I just want to see a little bit more before I start to trust it. So until then, I'm taking the New Orleans Saints, and no, I'm not taking my doppelganger in Baker Mayfield. Uh, <laughs> NFC West. The Seahawks, the Niners, the division goes through San Francisco. How much do we believe the Seahawks can really make a credible run? I Look, the Cardinals aren't doing it, and the Rams, they got a bunch of guys named who playing on defense, so I'm not trusting the Rams this year. But the Niners and the Seahawks, this one could be a – if we called uh, – if we called the the NFC East a heavyweight battle between the Cowboys and the uh, and the Eagles, this is probably the light heavyweight battle of the NFC West yeah. between the Seahawks, the welterweights, the welterweights between the Seahawks and uh, the San Francisco 49ers. I still think you take the 49ers. I think it's going to be sneakier than we realize. I, I Mister Irrelevant Brock Purdy. I still I just don't trust Brock Purdy, man. Yeah, I just really don't. I think there's limitations there, and they start with Pittsburgh, the Giants, 
and Dallas all in the first six weeks. Mm-hmm. We'll find out a lot earlier, like if Brock Purdy is for real, than what we saw from last year. Because last year, he had the benefit of not having to play the stiffest competition with the toughest quarterbacks or anything like that. This year, we'll find out pretty fast. If he's real, look, they can get 14 wins. Mm-hmm. If there's issues, then it could be 10 or 9. Yeah. And if it's 10 or 9, that opens the door for Seattle to try to get to 10 as well. But if Brock Purdy is just, I'm talking like the 18th best quarterback. If he's stable, then they're probably getting 13 wins. Yeah. And that's too far. They they have that good of a roster. Mm-hmm. Um the Seahawks, there's a lot I'm excited about. Obviously, on offense, you, know, you have so many weapons now around Geno Smith, mm-hmm. Ken Walker, and Charbonnet, DK Metcalf, plus Lockett. Now you add Jackson Smith and Jigba as well. The offensive line should be a lot better. There is weapons galore for Geno Smith. And I cannot even begin to express like how Jackson Smith and Jigba fits perfectly into what they're going to be doing. Yeah. You don't need to make a projection of like, hey, this wide receiver, he's going to be the number one guy. Like like we've seen so many guys have to go in roles that they're just not yet equipped for. You're going to be the number three as the slot receiver, which is your skill set, with the coordinator that coached Cooper Cup. Mm -hmm. That's the role you're playing, and it fits perfectly to what you want to do. This guy is going to be phenomenal this season. Uh, so definitely put that on your fantasy radars if you haven't already with Jackson Smith and Jigba. The question mark comes on defense. Um, maybe I'm a little too close to it, but I am buying a lot of what they are selling right now. I know you've got some question marks about the front side of the defense, but even though the Legion of Boom comparisons are a little too early, mm-hmm. there is a lot to be excited about in the Seahawks secondary, and it feels like a team or a defense that could be that can cause some problems and create some turnovers, and I'm always down for that. I'm going to uh, project out a Seahawks division win. Oh, bolder than I am. Much bolder. Bolder. Big time bias. <laughs> Leading into it. Uh, all right, there's our division winners in the National Football League as we get closer. And closer to the start of the season. If you haven't chimed in with a question yet, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Get those in. Bick and I will get to the mailbag next on the People's Show, Sportsnet 650.